we're going to continue our, our series that we have been on in prayer called Living a Life of Prayer. And I want us to dive into one of my favorite psalms, Psalm chapter 51. We're going to read just three verses. You can look here at the screen or open up your phone or your Bible to Psalm chapter 51, verses 11 through 13. Here's what the Bible says. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and so that sinners will turn back to you. I want to talk to you very briefly this morning on this subject. You've lost that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Come on, how many remember that old song? Baby, you've lost that love and feeling. Anyway, there's a reason they don't let me sing on the worship team uh, here. I want to talk to you on the subject, you've lost that love and feeling. Let's pray. Lord, create hunger. Let hunger pains be here and be present in this room. Lord, a, a hunger not for food, a hunger for your presence, a hunger for you, God. Lord, let there be something that stirs, Lord, in every single individual within the sound of my voice. Lord, for those that understand what it means to be truly satisfied with you, they understand what it means to really, really seek your face and to have a spiritual hunger answered in their life. I pray, God, that you would bring us back to a place of hunger. For those, Lord, that have never experienced that kind of intimacy, that kind of relationship with you, I pray, God, that you would let them experience it. Move us beyond religion. God, move us into an intimacy, a relationship with you. We already know that you desire it. And Lord, let us answer the call that you're placing in front of us to be moved towards you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, how many of you are married? Raise your hands if you're married. Okay, many of you in the room. Uh, let me ask you this. How many of you, I just want to just know this about our church. Is there anybody that married their high school sweetheart? Anybody? Wow, okay, that's, that's quite a few, four or five of you. That's pretty cool. You don't hear a lot about that, but you married your high school sweetheart. Uh, how many of you knew, this will eliminate a few of you, how many of you knew your high school sweetheart in junior high? So you go all the way back. Wow, come on. A couple of you. And, uh, and so I want you, those of you that are in the room, you can remember uh, that, that, that you might not be talking about your wife, but you maybe, I'm going to give you permission for just a second to go back to that, that junior high girl that you saw. And uh, the issue with junior hires is that you're developing things and you're not exactly sure how to handle them and so you do weird stuff in junior high when it comes to relationships stuff like write little notes at least as they did when I was in school you know you're in sixth grade and you'd write a little note do you like me uh, circle yes or no and then you would never deliver that that note you'd have your friend take the note to the girl come on and, uh, and then a smart girl would always write maybe and circle that and send it back, you know. And, and so, 
you remember that feeling, and some of you remember that feeling even just about your wife, where when you saw your wife across the room, it was like heaven came into the room. It was this this feeling and this sensing. It was like angelic for you. It was like, oh, you know? I mean, just you were moved. You were so excited. And, and then you, you know, you dated and, uh, and you got engaged and then you, you got married. And do you remember like the first few weeks of marriage when uh, you just believed in your heart it was going to be bliss forever, you know? And like, come on, y'all. You remember when like he could do no wrong and, uh, and she could, you know, remember when your friends would ask you like, man, you talk so great about him. Is there any flaws? And you're like, oh, he has no flaws, you know, and uh, he's, he's really, you know, probably not even human. He's, he's probably like an angel, really, you know, and, and uh, well, you know, does she have any flow? She has no flaws at all, you know, and, and uh, in fact, she, she wakes up beautiful. I, I mean, she doesn't even have to do makeup, hair, not she just wakes up beautiful and 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 then a couple weeks go by and maybe you did something crazy like you wrote I love you ladies with shaving cream all over the mirror you know and so when he went to you know to to shave he was so excited he was like ah she loves me she loves you know and he didn't wipe that off for weeks you know it just stayed on the mirror you know and it was so exciting and so amazing and and then about Five or six years goes by, and, and you decide to try to be romantic, because it's been a while since either one of you have, and, and so you decide to do what you did years ago, and you write, I love you, with shaving cream all over the mirror, and hoping that that, that goes over well, and, and he gets his razor out, looks at the mirror, and the first thought that he has is, who's going to clean up this mess on the mirror now? It's that relational dynamic that everybody goes through, that most marriages go through, and it's the relational dynamic of we're still married, we're still committed, we still love each other, we, we are still committed to one another, but there's a loss of delight that can take place if we're not careful, hello? There's a loss of romanticism that, that moves away. And I just wonder if what happens in our relationships here on this planet can also happen in our relationship with with the God of another planet. Hello? I wonder if we all face times in our life, in fact, I don't have to wonder, I actually know that we face times in our life, in our walk with God, where we are still serving him, we're still committed, we're still reading our Bibles, we're still praying, we're still attending church, and, and, and we're still going through the motions of everything that we're supposed to do, but there's a loss of delight. There's a loss of intimacy with God. Some of you had really radical conversion stories between you and Jesus. You had a a turnaround story where you gave your life to Christ and everything changed. And you may remember a time where, man, 
everything just felt so amazing. Your walk with God felt, you just felt like you were floating on air and skipping on clouds. And, and you literally felt this presence all the time. And you know, people would say you, to you like, good morning. And you'd say, Jesus is, makes my morning good. And, and you'd say, what do you want to eat? Oh, I don't need anything to eat because we have Jesus, you know? And, and uh, you know, what do you want to watch on television? I don't need television anymore because I have Jesus now in my life. I mean, you, you, you went crazy. You had, you know, a, a salvation plan on your voicemail of your phone, you know, and people would call you and, and they literally could get saved, but just by listening to your voicemail, you know, and, and, uh, and you, you bought the fish bumper sticker and, and, you know, put it on your car. I mean, you literally, you didn't have to force yourself ever to come to church. You came to church every time the doors were open. You, you, you didn't struggle with volunteering on a team. You struggled with not volunteering on six different teams at the same time. I mean, everything was, you were consumed with a passion for Christ. You were consumed with a presence, a delight that you had between you and God. And then we walk with God and, and we are committed to God. And I realize, and I want you to hear this this morning, I realize that I'm talking to the people right now that are in the room. So I'm talking to the most committed this morning. I'm talking to the ones that, that are not still at home and that have returned to church. And I'm talking to the people, so, so you may say, well, I'm here and I'm committed and I'm devoted and I'm you know, trying to plug back into church. And some of you say, I'm even in a small group and, and sometimes I like that, other times it's, you know. And, and so you're here and you go, I'm devoted, I'm committed, but my delight isn't always there anymore. I want us to look at this passage this morning, and I want to give you some background of the passage, and I want to let you know who wrote the passage. This was written by a guy named David. You may know him as King David. I'm going to walk through his life here in just a few minutes. David, David was uh, the youngest of seven boys, and like many of the youngest, he was kind of overlooked. In fact, he was so overlooked that one, one day a, a prophet, a prophet is just someone who speaks on behalf of God, a, a prophet came to uh, the home of, of David and, and God had told him to go to this home and go to Jesse's home. Jesse was David's father and I want you to pick out the next king of Israel. And, and Samuel, the prophet, looks at all the boys, and there's six of them, and God says, no, 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 no. And so he asks the next logical question, is there somebody here that, that you're not showing me? Is there one of your boys that you're not showing me? And Jesse just says, yeah, there's, there is one, but you know, he's, he's probably not gonna amount to much. He's out, he's a shepherd, and he's out you know, herding the sheep, and, and uh, I don't think he would probably be the one. And, and so Samuel sees David, Jesse brings him in, and Samuel sees him, and God says, that's the one. So he's anointed at a young age to become the next king of Israel. And then through a series of events, there's one of the greatest stories in the Bible. Even if you're not a church person, you maybe have heard uh, the story of the, uh, the man named, the giant named what? 
at Goliath. And so David, through a series of events, ends up defeating this giant man named Goliath. Don't have time to go into that story, but it was an amazing story of how God used the shepherd David to destroy a giant named Goliath. And literally, it was, it was the, the turnaround of a nation in a war that the Israelites began to win. This earned him favor with the king. The king's name was Saul at the time, and it earned him great favor with the people. But what was favor turned into jealousy. And, and David, because of the jealousy of King Saul, because the people actually started to like David more than Saul, David ended up running for his life, and he becomes an outlaw. Through another series of events, David actually ends up replacing King Saul to lead the kingdom of Israel, and we can read so much about David's life throughout the Bible, but I love many of the Psalms because the Psalms actually give us insight into David's relationship with God. They give us insight into what it was like for David to walk with God. And then we come to a story that is the downfall of David. It is David at his lowest moment of his life. You see, he had sent out his army, and one of his commanders uh, he had sent out, and that commander also happens to be one of David's neighbors, and the commander's wife is outside taking a bath. And through a series of events, David ends up having an affair with this lady. Her name is Bathsheba. And he feels so bad about it that he decides to cover it up by actually having the commander who is his commander and his friend, he has him killed. So literally, David commits adultery, then he commits murder. And the prophet shows up in the courts of David basically to say, hey David, God knows what you did. God is watching and he told me what you did. And David understands that he is on the crucible at this moment of his life. He's on the precipice of losing everything in his life. His entire kingdom is about to be washed away. He's about to lose everything. And these verses are what David writes to the Lord. They're the prayers that he prays to God when he's on the precipice of losing everything. When he's had adultery, he's murdered somebody, the prophet has showed up and he has told him, God knows what you did and you will be judged for what you did. David writes these words, Psalm 51 verse 11. He writes, do not cast me from your presence or take your holy spirit from me. It's so incredible that David is on the edge of losing his entire kingdom, and you gotta imagine the kingdom that he had. I'm talking about a palace. I'm talking about fine china. I'm talking about servants everywhere you looked. I'm talking about an inner court where he was ruling and reigning over a nation. People would bow at his feet, and David is on the edge of losing everything, and do you notice in verse 11, he doesn't mention any of that. 
He doesn't say, God, will you save my kingdom? God, will you save my ministry? God, will you save this? Will you save that? Lord, please don't let the servants go away from me. Please don't remove me as the king. Here's what he says in verse 11. He says, God, I don't care about any of that. I'm not even thinking about any of that right now. What I'm most concerned about, God, what I need the most, what I've got to have, what I've got to get back is, God, do not cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. You you understand at this moment that David, there is something inside of him that is longing for the presence of God in his life. We can see this in other Psalms that he writes. Listen to this one, Psalm chapter 27, verse four. He says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell. Everybody say dwell. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Listen to what he says in Psalm 34, verse eight. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Listen to this one, Psalm chapter 42, verse one. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Let me ask you this, look this way y'all. When's the last time that your soul panted for the presence of God? How many of you have ever been really, really, really warm? Raise your hands, come on. Y'all live in Louisiana, raise your hands. How many of you have ever been so warm that the only thing you could think about was water? Come on. I mean, literally, the only thing that was on your mind was we're, we're moving into, uh, we had, you know, our, our week of winter, and, and now we're moving into the hotter time of the year. It's been nice this week. I asked somebody, I said, isn't the weather great? And, and, uh, and he said, uh, I, I'm having a hard time enjoying it. I, I said, why? He said, because I know what's coming. I know what's coming. We live in this kind of a climate. And and, and this psalmist is telling us, hey, there comes a moment in your, t- in your life, in your walk with God, where you're supposed to be just like a deer would pant for water, just like you would pant for water when you're so warm. There's got to be a moment in your life where you want God that much. You want the presence of God in your life that much, where you are panting for his presence. Some of you Maybe you don't know Jesus in the room. Maybe you're not a, a ch- church person and you hear something like this and you're like, man, that sounds really, really strange. It sounds really almost kooky, if you will. Here's what I want to let you know. I want to let you know that if you ever decide to serve God, God is not interested in a list of do's and don'ts and in, in a religion with you. God is interested in an intimate relationship with you where you know him and he knows you and there's a closeness that takes place. Place like you've never known before. Huh. Reminds me of a story about, about the philosopher Socrates. Uh, a young, young student, the kind of arrogant student, came to, to Socrates, the philosopher, at one point, and uh, he walked up to him proudly and he said, Oh, great Socrates, I want to ask you, great Socrates, to give me wisdom. Would you give me the gift of wisdom like you have in your life? And Socrates said, yeah, I'll give you the gift of wisdom. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to meet me 
down by the water, down by the ocean, and, 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 and there is where I'll give you the gift of wisdom. Well, they met down by the ocean, and they waded about chest deep into the water, and, and Socrates looked at, at a student, and he said, what is it that you are asking for? And he said, oh, great, Socrates, I am asking you for wisdom. He said, are you sure that's what you want? And the student said, yes. So he took the student's head and he dunked it under the water for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. The student pops up and he gasps for air and, and he says, what is it that you, you wanted in your life? And he said, and he's, he's trying to recover himself. He said, oh great, Socrates, I am asking you for the gift of wisdom. He said, are you sure that's what you want? He said, yes, great Socrates, that's what I want. Socrates took his head, dumped it back into the water, held it under the water with, with the strong hands that he had, and he got, went for longer than 30 seconds, 30, 35, 40 seconds. The, the student pops his head back up, and he said, what is it that you wanted? And the student is gasping for air at this moment, and he says, oh, great, Socrates, and he's having a harder time now. I am asking you, I beg of you, for wisdom. He said, are you sure that's what you want? And the student paused for just a second, and he said, I think so. And he took his head, he dunked it back under the water, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, 50 seconds. The student gasps for air and he lets him back up and he says, what is it that you want? And the, and the student said, air, I just want air. That's all I want is air. And Socrates said, as soon as you want wisdom, as much as you wanted air, you'll be ready to get it. And I wonder if in our relationship with God, if God is asking us, as soon as you want me with everything on the inside of you, that is when my presence is gonna come in an incredibly strong way in your life. As soon as you reach out to me and you get rid of your self-reliance and you get rid of what you think you can do, as soon as you call out to me and you let go of your pride and your dignity and you call out to me and say, God, I just want you. That's all I want is you. As soon as you do that, I believe God's presence can come into our life in an incredible way. How about you? Psalm 51. David's about to lose the kingdom. Don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. He goes on in, in verse 12 to say this. Restore to me the joy. Everybody say joy. The joy of your salvation. It's interesting that he didn't say, God, will you allow me to, to have salvation again? He, 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 he uses this word restore to me and Restore in this context in the original language is to rebuild. So in other words, he's saying, God, can we rebuild not my salvation? He understands that God can forgive him even though he has sinned majorly against the Lord. He understands he can be saved, but he differentiates, he makes a distinction between a salvation and the joy of your salvation. Watch this now. I'm here today to tell you that many of us in the room have had times and some of us are in it right now where we understand that we have our salvation and you can have your salvation but you can lose the joy of that salvation. Hello? 
In other words, if you were to die today, you know that you'd be with Jesus in heaven forever. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you're committed. But there is no joy left in your walk with him. I call it the wonder of God. The amazement of God, the awe of God. I, 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 I don't know exactly how to define it in people's lives. This is all I know. Once in a while, you meet somebody that has this look in their eyes when they talk about God, and it looks differently than anybody else's eyes when they talk about God. Hello? It's this joy, this wonder, this amazement, this awe. My friend uh, is here that is... Uh, painted our, our ceiling. By the way, doesn't the ceiling look awesome? Come on, y'all. Doesn't the ceiling look awesome? That's the first step, and then we're gonna paint the walls lighter so it'll lighten up a little bit in the room, and we're gonna get new carpet in, but our, our parent church sent one of my, my good friends here with us, and he's been doing this, this work for us, worked his tail off this week for us, and his name is Dave. This is my friend Dave. Dave, wave at everybody. And... Uh, I brought that up for two reasons. One is I, I want to thank Dave for working hard, and I also want to thank my friend Ricky, who is from our church and owns a painting company, and this week he brought his crew to repaint our entire lobby. Come on, y'all. Doesn't it look awesome? Ricky, wave at everybody. This is Ricky. That's a dude you want to get to know right there, using his gift set for the Lord this week to help our church. Thank you, Ricky. But I want you to know something. I'm bringing that up for multiple reasons. One of the reasons is I, I need you to know that if you talk to Dave more than two minutes, you are going to get fired up for Jesus. I mean, literally, I have not ever hung out with Dave when he hasn't inspired me to be closer to the Lord. Where I've walked away with even a healthy conviction of, God, I want to be more radical. God, I, I want more of your, your presence. When you talk to Dave, you see there is a joy in his salvation. There is a sparkle in his eyes. There's a sparkle in his voice when he talks about God. And I just wonder today if God can restore the joy of our salvation. If he can bring us back to the place where we're not only walking with him, we're walking with an amazement and wonder and awe. And when we talk about him and when we spend time with him, we walk away with this sense of amazement. Hello? I just believe with all of my heart, like David, that we've got to cry out and say, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. We just go through sometimes the motions of church, don't we? And we go through the motions of walking with God. One of the, the only characteristics that, that I have in my life that, that makes me who I am, one of the only good ones is, I don't have a ton of them, but one of the only good ones is, I'm gonna tell you right now, look this way. I'm committed. Everybody say committed. I mean committed. If I say I'm gonna do something, I do it. If I say I'm going to be somewhere, I'm there. If I say I'm going to start something, I start it. Faithful, 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 faithful. Committed, committed. Everybody say committed. 
committed. I mean, I'm committed. Right now, I can tell you what day of the year I'm on right now because, because I'm committed to making sure that I'm doing my devotions and that, you know, that I'm committed, that I'm faithful to the Lord, that I'm faithful to come to God's house, that I'm faithful to be in small group. Committed, 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 committed. Persevering, get sick, doesn't matter. I'm going to be committed, okay? I'm going to come back even stronger. I'm going to be committed. Not quitting, maybe one of the only reasons that Saints Community Church is still here and still thriving and still surviving is because we have a bunch of committed. Everybody say committed. Committed people. I'm talking about committed people. One of my friends that's, uh, that's here, his name is Justin Pinnock. He's our, our head deacon at our church. Justin, wave at everybody. Justin was here like five or six hours yesterday getting the sanctuary put back together. My friends Joe and, and Cliff were here at 6 a.m. Uh, uh, yesterday morning vacuuming this place and getting it ready because there's a lot of people that make up this church that are committed. Everybody say committed. But look this way, y'all. There has to come a point that we go beyond being committed. That we go into a place of excitement. A place of amazement, a place of joy, a place of I'm not just showing up because I got a lot of grit. I'm showing up because I can't help myself. Because I'm so excited about what God's doing. Because I'm so excited about who he is. It's one of the reasons why being in a small group is so important because there are times that we will all go through where we are not walking with the joy of our salvation and hopefully we have somebody in our small group that is walking with the joy of our salvation that spurs us on to, to receive that joy of walking with God again. Amen? Verse 13 says this. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. As the band comes forward, look this way, y'all. Sometimes I find myself frustrated with myself or frustrated even with others when I, I see a, a lack of Missional living. Jesus said to go and reach all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. And sometimes I, I wonder man, why why aren't people investing in unbelievers more? Why are we, you know, not bringing more people to church and even even better than that, leading them to Christ before they they get into the house of God? And why, you know, why are we? Why why is your church sometimes? lacking motivation for ministry and for mission. I think about the different scenarios. Many of you are aware that not too far from here, just a few miles from here in Metairie, just a few weeks ago, there was five people injured and two of them killed at a gun store on Airline Highway. And my first thought whenever I hear something about it, especially if it's one of our communities that one of our locations is in, my first thought is, I wonder if we knew them. I, I wonder if, they're, if they had ever been to our church. I, I wonder if that person that died, uh, you know, had a relationship with Jesus. And I, and I wonder if maybe somebody in our church knew them and was able to reach them. Or I wonder if they 
They died without knowing the hope of God in their life and, and they didn't go to heaven. I, I, I have those thoughts. I mean, instantly when I hear it on the paper, when I read it on my phone on NOLA.com or when something happens in one of our locations, my mind goes to, did we reach them or did another church reach them? And if we didn't, why didn't we? How many of you want to see this place full of people that don't know Jesus, that come to know Jesus Christ? How many want to see this place? I mean, packed. Come on. I'm here today to tell you that that's a partnership where we pray and we ask God to bring those people, but then there's a partnership that happens where we are responsible to bring them in. Family members, friends, coworkers, even complete strangers. The greatest thing that you'll ever do in your entire life is to be somebody that knows how to win people to Christ. Sometimes I even find myself thinking about why aren't more people willing to volunteer? Why aren't more people willing to join teams? Why aren't more people willing to lead small groups? And why aren't more people willing to do this? But I have to remember what David is saying here, he's saying that, hey, you don't do that out of duty because how many have ever joined something in your life out of a guilty conscience? Raise your hands. If you've, you've, come on, I have. You've ever, you've ever signed up for something or made a pledge or joined a club or some kind of a team or volunteered out of guilt? And how many of you know if you do something just out of duty and guilt, it doesn't last very long, does it? It doesn't. It goes away pretty quickly. Here's what David is saying. David is saying, hey, when your presence comes into my life, when I am full of your Holy Spirit, when I have the joy of my salvation in my life, guess what that prepares me for? That prepares me to teach transgressors, unbelievers, people that don't know you. When your presence comes, when I'm walking with the joy of my salvation, that will prepare me to reach people and it will prepare me to turn them back to you. Listen, our motivation for ministry can't just be out of duty. It's got to be out of intimacy. It's got to be out of walking with God. There's a difference between living for Jesus out of devotion and living for Jesus out of admiration. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Aren't you glad he didn't say, just keep my commandments? No, he said, if you love me, if there's a love relationship that we have with me, then, 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 you, then you keep my commandments. Here's the good news. When you're living a life of intimacy, where you're really in love with him, and he's really in love with you, when you're living that kind of a life where his presence is, is upon you, where there's a joy to your salvation, guess what, my friends? People are going to notice. The people in your life are going to ask you questions like, why are you so happy all of the time? Why are we in the middle of a pandemic and you've got a bounce in your step? Hello? They're going to ask you questions like, 
what do you have to drink because I want whatever you're having to drink. And you'd say, I'm only drinking one thing, the living water. Hello? A life of intimacy leads to a life of impact.